Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. For your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Well, good morning. Uh, for anyone I have not had the chance to meet, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and as Susan said, we are in week two uh, of our sermon series entitled Lent, which is about, you guessed it, Lent. Um, but really what we're trying to do is take a look at what Scripture records about some events in Jesus' life. Uh, and, and see how did those help us in a season that's really about repentance. Right? So, so Lent, what Lent does for us spiritually is it prepares us so that on Easter morning, you cannot say he is risen without a tear in your eye because you understand what that really means. Now, now repentance kind of gets cast in a negative light very often. All it really is is turning away. From something, And so if I am repenting of sin, I'm turning away from sin, which means by default, I'm turning towards God, right? And so that's, that's what we want to be looking at. Now, what we're talking about this morning, the specific sin uh, is pride, and that is oftentimes referred to as the granddaddy of sin, right? Pride is foundational for all sin. Whether you believe that or not, Pride is especially dangerous because it is the one thing that tells us we see more when it's actually blinding us. It's not an uncommon thing to hear that someone was blinded by pride. We get that. The problem is that when we are experiencing it, we're not just blinded by pride, we're blinded to pride. I had a, uh, as I was prepping for this message, I'm thinking back over the course of my life and I remembered a time uh, before, of course, I reached the level of spiritual maturity that I presently enjoy. And, and I remembered it as if it were two weeks ago, Wednesday at 7.30. Um, but, but I was given the gift of the opportunity to step into the life of a teenager as a parent um, and, and was doing that for a bit. And he and I, we butted heads a little bit. Here and there happened, uh, and it just so occurred that he was not in school for a period of five days. And so after the first couple of days, realizing it's gonna be a couple more, because we care about him, because my job is to direct him and provide for him the best life possible, I realized, hey man, probably we should start setting aside school hours to do school work, even if you're not there, right? Let's keep in that rhythm, don't fall too, too far behind in your classes, and that way when school starts again, you're kinda ready to just jump back in. And so it's 7.30, so, I, and this is in the morning, I've, I've walked the little kids to school and I, I stopped back home to check in before I come to work. And, and I explained to him, hey, today from 8 to 2.30, we're gonna have you in a room doing your schoolwork online. You wanna take a 10 minute break in between assignments, that's cool, but 8 to 2.30 in your room doing your homework. To which he replies, I, I'm not doing that, like school ends at 2.15. Why would I stay till 2.30? To which I replied, also starts at 7.15 and you're going up at eight, so you still owe me time. And then I try and explain, listen, 
I'm, like, I'm not trying to be like hard guy. Like, I just, I care about you. And I want you to, to be in the best position when school starts again. So seven or so eight o'clock in your room up there till 2.30. He looks at me and says, you tripping. I'm not doing that. As he sits in my chair, eating my food in my house that I invited him into, and I explain, oh, no, no, yes, you are, to which he looks me dead in the eye and says, no. And so I step forward and I explain, this, this isn't a power struggle. I have power, you have none, do it. And I leave for work. You may be surprised to know, I didn't have a great day at work. In another plot twist, my evening was not so awesome with that child. And so somewhere around 11 o'clock, after a series of events I will not detail, I'm, I'm bent over this thing. And so I reach out to a buddy of mine that's known me for years. Probably haven't seen him face to face in maybe five, but I've known him 12, 13 years. And I detail this whole conversation that I had with this boy in the morning and, and kind of explain some of the things going on there. And, and his response to me is to say, like, Jeff, I, like, I love you, man, but, but when I hear you say, you know, like I said to him, I have, this isn't a power struggle. I have power. You have none. It's like, I kind of feel like that's what God is saying to you. And when he said it, it stung. But I heard it, kept my mouth shut. And after the conversation ended, I did a thing that I do. It's a spiritual discipline. Um, I, listen, I got a lot of kids. I got a busy life. It's hard to maintain spiritual disciplines. But one that I'm pretty consistent with is I make sure that I have five minutes every day of silence. That's not on my phone, not listening to music, not watching something. It is just me silent. Usually I will offer a quick prayer and invite God in beforehand, but that's like a doable thing. And so I take my five minutes of silence and I sit in it with this thing that Tom said. What does Tom know? He hasn't seen me in five years. Um, and, and I all of a sudden realize that the thing that made me angry wasn't that this kid doesn't understand that I just care about him, which is what I thought. I realized what, what really made me angry was like, you are gonna sit in my house that I pay for in my chair and tell me no? I don't think so. And that, that's pride. That's not love for the kid. That's not wanting his best. That's my pride. When I realized it, I was able to see it in light of who God is because of what my buddy said. And so it didn't give me shame or condemnation. Didn't make me feel trapped. It made me feel free because I realized my own shortcoming, but I realized it in light of who God is. And when, when we're able to do that, when I realize how weak I am and that his strength is perfected in that, I'm given a sense of peace. There's all, it was almost a worshipful moment that I got to experience. And so we're gonna look at two, two interactions that Jesus had with different people, both of which were set up by pride, but, and there's some interesting parallels, but they ended very differently. So we're gonna start in John chapter three. Um, this is a man named Nicodemus. This is verse, verse one. We read in verse one and two. So it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, 
we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. So some things I need to point out here is that Pharisees, Pharisees were like the masters of the law, right? And when I say the law, I'm really, I'm talking about all the things of God. So this Pharisee would have prided himself on his understanding and knowledge of the things of God. So he's already walking into this thing with a sense of pride. I would also point out that he comes to Jesus. So this whole conversation, this is on Nicodemus' terms. He's the one that sets us up. It also tells us that he came at night, so nobody else is around. Again, setting up a context where he can protect his pride. Now, you could read what he said, where he says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And it could sound like he's being humble and lifting Jesus up, but I don't really believe that's what's happening because he's coming in demonstrating his own knowledge. He's basically eight-miling Jesus. And those who chuckle have seen the movie. But so there's a movie called Eight Mile, which I, I can't really vouch for the language in the movie, but um, it is the story of the rapper Eminem. You know who Eminem is? Okay. So, so he kind of came up through... Uh, through freestyle rap battles in underground clubs in Detroit. And so it's kind of an autobiographical thing. But in the story, they have these battles. And if you don't know what that is, you basically you each get about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a beat will kick on, and your objective is to roast your opponent. I mean, like, do whatever you can to make fun of them. And then when it's their turn, if you've done a real good job, they choke. And they got nothing to say because they're so rattled by what you said. Or if they go, but they're not as good as you, the crowd votes and someone wins. So, so Marshall, Eminem's character in this movie, gets all the way to the last scene. Big battle. This is for all the marbles. He's up against the champion. But you know if you've watched the movie that the champion he's up against has miles of dirt on this guy. Like, it doesn't matter what Marshall says, because the second that guy takes the mic, he's going to get tore down. And so he does the only thing he can. Marshall gets up, and he lays out all his own dirt. He takes all the power out of what that other guy can say, because he can't reveal something that I just said. And that's what Nicodemus is doing. He's not setting himself up under Jesus. He's demonstrating his own knowledge to protect his pride in what he knows. But then Jesus does what Jesus does. Right, so the, this man, this great teacher, sent from God, then teaches. So verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, and I got to pause. In some translations, this says, verily, verily, he said unto thee, um, or what have you. But, but it's just an expression, and we pass over it because we're not familiar with it. It would be as if I were to say, listen, check it out. Or, please don't miss this. So Jesus says, listen, check it out. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Nicodemus responds by saying, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. See, Nicodemus is questioning what Jesus is saying and not to understand it. He's questioning it to dispute it. Because if he were to accept what Jesus just said, 
it means he didn't know quite as much as he thought he knew. And that would damage his pride. So Jesus responds, right? He goes on in verse 5 and says, please, don't miss this. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. Jesus is trying to explain to him that there are things he will not be able to understand. There are things of God too big, too elusive, too different for him to grasp. That's what he wants Nicodemus to say. But Nicodemus' response is to question him yet again. How can this be, Nicodemus says. And so, Jesus kind of lays it down. Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Please, don't miss this. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, which Nicodemus would know, references a story where Moses raised up a serpent and people were healed. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is literally spelling it out for him. He's trying to get him to see that you're not going to be able to grasp this physically in what you know in your own strength and your own understanding you can't grasp it, but the only way to heaven, the only way to eternal life, the only way to be made whole is through me. And you would think that this master of the law, this master of the things of God would just soak this in. Thank you for this revelation, right? Or maybe he'd even continue what he was doing and, and battle against it. But Nicodemus' response, crickets. He says nothing. He didn't listen. He did not check it out. And he did, in fact, miss this. So this man who prided himself on understanding the things of God goes to God himself and is offered understanding, and, and he misses it. He doesn't even see it because he is not only blinded by his pride, he doesn't even know he has it. He's blinded to his pride the same thing that made him think he knew so much and could see so much was actually the thing that was blinding him. Now, there is a second interaction that Jesus has. Similarly, is set up around a prideful situation. Um, but you need to know that this is, so this is John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 6. But you need to know that Jesus is traveling. He has had to travel through Samaria. And so culturally... It's important that you understand that Jews viewed Samaritans like down here, 
culturally. Um, and so, so they really didn't travel through Samaria unless they had to. But, but this is what's going on. So, so we pick up in verse 6. And it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, as he was tired from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So, Samaritans socially down here. Jews socially up here. This is also a patriarchal society, which means that this is a woman down here speaking to a man down here. On top of that, he's a rabbi. So, so it would be a very uncomfortable thing to say the least, and I feel confident in saying there's no way that this woman would have initiated a conversation with Jesus. The fact that she came to the well at noon kind of dictates that. Listen, you don't go to the well to draw water at 12 noon in the desert. You go in the morning, you go in the evening, just like Nicodemus came at night to avoid other people being around to protect his pride, this woman came at noon to avoid other people being around to protect her pride. And we'll see why as we read on. So he says to her, now he interrupts what she's doing. Jesus initiates the conversation and says, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman says to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? See, Jesus interrupted her pride. Like he, he entered into the conversation with her. It was on his terms. And so she questions, but her questions, they're not defiant questions. She's not trying to prove anything. She's saying, like, how, how is it that we're, that we're even really having this conversation? And so Jesus responds um, by doing what rabbis do, by teaching. So verse 10, Jesus answers her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I, I want to quickly point out that you will notice there is no listen, check it out. Because she's already listening. It goes on to, to say this about living water and just like with Nicodemus, where, where Jesus talks about something that, that in a physical way, it doesn't make any sense. It's not something that we can really wrap our understanding or brains around. That's what he says to her about the living water. And, and her response is understandably a question. Verse 11, she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So she's, she's questioning, but she's questioning to understand. And so Jesus responds by saying, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he continues to teach these spiritual things that make no physical sense. But her response 
Her response isn't to fight it or dispute it. It's not to ignore it. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drive this, to draw water. So, so because she was able to hear, because she is listening, she doesn't question what Jesus is saying. She just asks for more of that water. And, and then Jesus, because he's Jesus, kind of lays it down with her, just like he did with Nicodemus. Verse 16, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right to say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. So what you have just said is quite true. So, so I told you that she came to the well at noon to protect her pride. Because were she to come when everybody else is there, they're all going to be talking about what's going on in this woman's life. And she can't handle that. So she goes there to hide at noon and runs into Jesus who literally calls her out on exactly the thing she was trying not to have to look at. But because it's Jesus who does it, she gets to see it in light of who he is, not just in light of where she fell short. And so her response, her response is, is not crickets. Her response is to say, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, prophets in that time, they were the messengers of God. So for her to say, sir, I can see you're a prophet, that's not like Jesus called her out on her junk and she was like, fair point. Or, well, okay, maybe I've had a couple of husbands. That is as if she responded, wow, you are so insightful. Clearly, God tells you things that you would know this. That's the posture that this woman takes she is able to see her own shortcomings, not in light of her failures, but in how incredible this Jesus is. She goes on in verse 20 to say, our ancestors, ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I find it interesting that the second she sees her own shortcomings in light of who Jesus is, her response is to start thinking about worship. Jesus replies, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Do you see the parallel between what Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus? That it is not just physical things, but spiritual things that matter. He is teaching this woman the same things. The difference is she hears it because she's no longer blinded by the pride that was ruling her life when she showed up. And so she responds. She says to Jesus, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, 
He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He reveals himself as the Messiah. Just like he tried to say to Nicodemus that just as Moses raised the serpent in the wilderness that there might be healing, the son of man has to be lifted up that all might have eternal life. He reveals it to this woman and she receives it. So this guy who's supposed to be a master of all of the things of God misses the whole lesson, the foundational truth that Jesus came to share, he missed because he was not only blinded by his pride, he didn't even know what was happening. But this woman, this woman was able to see her own, her own failings, to be kind of snapped out of her pride, and, and was able to see it in light of who God is, and then receives all this. Now, this account goes on to record that the woman left her water pail and went back to town to tell everyone about this Jesus. And this is one of those things that, that's such a short little, it's like four or five words that says she left her water pail, right? It's real easy to miss and go over, but when you know some things about how the Gospels were written, the Gospel of John was written very visually. There's a lot of imagery. You have to weight metaphors in the Gospel of John with, with great care, whereas a gospel like Luke is written more matter-of-fact. But so this woman left her bucket. The exact thing that needed to be filled, that she brought to the well, that physical thirst, she meets Jesus, and all of a sudden, it doesn't matter anymore. She didn't put Jesus in the bucket. She left it and went to go tell people about him. It goes on to record that many Samaritans came to believe that day because of her testimony, and they all knew that Jesus was the Messiah. This bunch of Samaritans that heard it from a Samaritan woman who had five husbands and was with a guy she wasn't married with, not from Nicodemus, the master of the law. And that is because she was able to see her pride in light of who God was. Right? When we do that, we don't get trapped. It's not a feeling of, of shame that comes over us. It's a realization of how good God really is. And, and listen, check it out. It is very unlikely that you or I are ever going to be walking down the street, whistling, and all of a sudden realize, oh, you know, I'm kind of prideful. I should probably humble up. Like, that's, that just doesn't happen. In all reality, our pride is going to be revealed to us, probably in a real uncomfortable way, by some circumstance or some person. And when we do, we need to, we need to listen, own it, and then, and then bring it to God. See it in light of who he is. And I, I already told you, that the way that this works in my life doesn't have to be everybody's, but in my life, oftentimes, I make that transition in silence when I have an opportunity to be silent. And so, so we're going to try something. Um, it's not going to be five minutes of silence. Don't be worried. Although I did think about that. Um, 
in a minute, I'm going to pray. Uh, there's one more story, one more interaction between God and man that I, I want to read to you. I'm just going to read it um, because it's, cause it's written so well. Um, but what I want us to do first is I'll pray and I'll give us 30 seconds of silence. And I want you to ask God through the power of his Holy Spirit to reveal to you where in your life is there pride, right? Where is it blinding you from seeing the things that are keeping you trapped? Where is it that God wants more for you than what you can understand? And you need to be able to set that aside in light of who he is. Um, and then, as I tell you this story, I would like you to use your sanctified imagination and allow yourself to be the person God's talking to. All right, so let me, let me pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for, for your sacrifice. Uh, we will never be able to repay the price uh, that you paid on our behalf. Uh, God, we thank you for, for the helper, for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We ask now, God, in these moments that you would give us peace uh, and clarity. Give us eyes, Lord, to see where there is pride in our life that is blinding us from all that you would have for us. Once was a man named Job, and he was, by all accounts, one of the greatest men that lived that day. But tragedy fell on him, and he lost everything, his, his possessions, his livelihood, his family, eventually his health. And he sought with all his strength to understand why God would allow such things to happen but in his own strength, his understanding always fell short until ultimately in pride, he demanded that God answer for what he had done. And then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness. As light approaches, 
The earth takes shape like clay, pressed beneath a seal, it's robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course, you know all this. For you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? who laid out the path for the lightning, who makes the rain fall on barren land, in a desert where no one lives, who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of the ice who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For water turns to ice as hard as rock, and the surface of the water freezes. God of your promise, you don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. All nature's Nature inside has followed the sound of your voice. Ah, and as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath. If all 
Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the cluster of the Pleiades, or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons, or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear? and cause it to strike where you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil is hardened into clots? Can you stalk prey for a lioness? and satisfy the young lion's appetites as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wonder about and hunger? Will you stand with us as we sing this together? If the stars were made to worship so If the mountains bow wherever it's so light If the ocean roar your greatness so will I For if everything exists to lift you high so will I If the wind goes where you send me so will I If the rocks cry to the Lord I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you you ask who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance it is I and I was talking about things I knew nothing about things far too wonderful for me you said listen and I will speak I have some questions for you and you must answer them I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. 
darkness to die And as you speak A hundred billion failures disappear And you lost your life so I could find it here If you left the rain behind you so well See your heart and everything done. Every part designed in a work of our color. If you blindly show surrender, so will I. I can see your heart in a billion different ways. Every precious one shall be died. You would again a hundred billion times But what measure could amount to your deeds